Hello, this is Michael Smalley, and thank you for calling the Smalley Institute. I'm truly honored you called us today. Our offices are open Monday through Friday. Please hold while we connect your call to the Smalley Center. Welcome to another episode of Relationship Rewire, where we talk about what's right and what's wrong with relationships and marriage in our world today. My guest is Dr. Michael Smalley. He is the director and founder of the First Foundation. Uh, the You First Foundation, which champions the fight for equal rights for people born in Rhode Island. And uh, Dr. Smalley grew up in Farmington, New Mexico, where his father was a hops farmer for Coors, Coors Brewery. And at age five, Michael's mother left him to join a traveling acting troupe. And Michael became mute until he was 27 years old. So I don't know how you found that information out about me. Well, I held so close to the chest and, and I mean, in one introduction, it's all out there in the open. Yeah. I, I had to do some digging, yeah. had to yeah. do some digging, some, but some falsification. You, you worked hard for that. Is, so are you, yeah. Is any of that fake news? Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, what's funny is I was looking, you know, on my computer screen here at your website that disappeared. I don't know what I did with it. <laughs> I wasn't totally like at the beginning of the intro paying attention, but then I was like, wait, I'm the what? Go <laughs> up there. And then it, the heavier and thicker you got, I realized, ah, all right, this is good. I'm impressed. Well, you, uh, you're a comedian as well. So I thought it'd be that fun was. to, you yeah. Got <laughs> no, Michael, tell, tell us about who you are. If, if, for, if, in case there's somebody listening who doesn't know who you are. I would put good money down that there's people listening that don't know who I am. <laughs> people know me by my father, uh, Dr. Gary Smalley, or my brother, Dr. Greg Smalley, who are both. Uh, my father has graduated to heaven back in uh, March of 2016. My brother is still going strong, and still I'm known by either of those names before I am known by my own, uh, which is okay. I have a similar experience, yes. So, yeah. no, I'm, you know, I've, I've really taken, you know, my brother, Dr. Greg Smalley is that focus on the family. So he's sort of the equivalent of the evangelical Pope. Very, <laughs> very yeah. man. Yes. Yes. And I've kind of carried on the, I mean, we've both obviously carried on the family tradition, but I run the Smalley Institute. So when my dad was ready to step down and kind of retire, and then, you know, you might not know the story, but he became very ill after a heart surgery. And so at that point is when I kind of took on his ministry stuff and all of his old stuff and uh, continued doing a lot of the same things that my dad did. Which is you, you, one of your uh, flagship, I guess, uh, if you want to call it flagship enterprises, is uh, you have intensives. Yeah that uh, you do around the country, several different locations every month? Yeah, it's one of our core things, and it's the Smalley 
marriage intensive where we have eight locations across the United States. My favorite might be in Las Vegas. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good location, right? In the- <laughs> uh, I wish it was, but we're in places like Vegas and Denver, uh, Houston, Dallas, uh, Louisiana, Ohio. And that is a private one-on-one program where couples come in and one couple meets with one coach. So I've trained, oh, I, I think we have about 12 coaches now that can do intensives for the Somali Institute. And it's couples that come for two or three days and they go 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. each day, which is why it's intense. Yes, intense. We, yeah. we do a, a, a workshop. In fact, we got one coming up. We do one a month. My wife and I, we've uh, done 107 of them now, but, wow. but it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I, I've worked with a couple of people that you've trained, um, down, you, you know, the, um, the clearing down halfway between you and I, the clearing, get going. You help the clearing, get going. Yes. A couple of years ago, they were needing somebody to fill in, uh, have a, uh, I think they, the way they do, they have a male and a female therapist and and I came and, and helped them do a couple that uh, somebody was taking a sabbatical and and so I I, I got an experience of, of how yours operate I guess it's a little they operate somewhat like yours yeah somewhat yeah. similarly uh, I think though are they still doing group over individual or they were at the time they were doing yes they had you know four or five couples at a time and your, yours is just one couple at a time, correct? Uh, we, you know, we, what we found with group intensives is most people don't want to come and spend three to four days with strangers sharing the most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tough barrier to break through for a lot of uh, couples. Uh, the ones we do, we have several couples, but we, it's a very different format. We call it a workshop, and it's, it's three days, uh, eight to five every day. But yes, uh, a similar kind of thing. But uh, uh, well, no, I, ours is uh, really structured quite a bit different than than what I experienced there. But but it was uh, uh, very effective and good stuff. Well, um, we have uh, coming up. Uh, well, actually, not coming up. We are into April now. The, the San Antonio Marriage Initiative here in San Antonio is focusing on premarital stuff. So we are. Uh, Carl Caton, who's the director of that, recommended I get in touch with you and see if we can, because uh, I know you've written a book. In fact, I have your book over there on the shelf. Uh, it was several years ago, right? Your wife and you, uh, what's your wife's name again? Amy. Amy. Yeah. You, and, you and Amy wrote, what's the name of that book? Well, our first book we ever wrote together was Don't Date Naked. Don't Date Naked. That's a good idea. Yeah, I kind of thought it was. Yeah. You know, it's healthy dating advice. So it, it was honestly, it was in response to that. Uh, how can I say this? I want to be honoring, not disrespectful. Uh, the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Right. Basically enraged me. And that uh, spurred me, that anger as a younger man in my mid-20s, uh, spurred me on to write my first book because I, it just irritated the life out of me that, a bunch of Christians were getting all worked up on going, let's go back to courtship because we don't want to hurt people and dating is bad and you can't date and not devastate. So, I mean, it was so insane. I actually had quite a few debates with uh, Josh Harris because um, his came out and mine came out pretty shortly after. 
And I used to just go, bro, I get that you were not a good guy dating. <laughs> like you. Because I'd go, man, I had very successful dating. And it's not about mm-hmm. dating is never going to be the problem. Just like almost anything in life. Right. Uh, it's not it's not beer that's the evil thing. It's someone who abuses it, right? And there's things can be good or evil. It's what people do with it. So dating is not good or evil. Now, obviously, it can be both, right? There are people that abuse that, and there's people that honor it. So don't date naked was sort of an interesting take off, you know, put on the full armor of God in your dating relationship. So look, if you do these things, you can actually have very successful dating relationships that are honoring to both God and yourselves. And uh, it doesn't have to be negative. Yeah. I, I, you know, well, we, we've got three grown children now, but you know, I would have liked for them not to date. I would have liked to have arranged their marriage, but that's, that just wasn't, uh, it wasn't feasible in, in this day and time in, in our culture. Uh, you know, I can imagine the pushback you would get from a 16 year old. If you say, told them you're not going to date, they'd be okay. Well, I'm running away. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I had, when, when that book came out, I was uh, pastoring at a little church and, and well, not the pastor, but one of in, in Branson, Missouri. And one of our families had a crisis and they came in to meet with me and they, they had proudly implemented. I kiss dating goodbye in the courtship model. Right. Right. Here's where that gets you with kids, at least in America, is it was two in the morning. Dad wakes up, goes to the kitchen to get some milk or something and walks by his daughter's door and hears some wrestling and thinks, oh, no, and charges in. And there she is naked with a boy. So it's, you know, what what courtship does, in my opinion, it drives kind of behavior down into the dark into the secret places so now i got now i'm gonna sneak around instead of what's for me what's more important is i want my so like for my children there was never an age limit right like hey you can start dating when you're 18 because when parents would tell me that i'd, I'd always look at them and go well, why not 19 <laughs> why not 17 and they always would look and go well i mean 18 felt like a good number i went okay so your philosophy of dating is that it's a number, 18. It has really nothing to do with spiritual maturity, emotional maturity, uh, the fact that whether the, because there's 45-year-old people that you'll meet that shouldn't be dating. (laughs) Right. My philosophy was always, I want my kids to be able to show me that they know how to honor God and they know how to honor others. And third, they know how to honor themselves. And when they can show me that, they're ready. So if that happened at 13, I'm comfortable. Because I know that they're healthy and they're going to make good choices. Now, you have children of your own. Yeah, three. How old are they? They are 21, 19, and 16. How has that played out with them so far? Uh, It has. So my oldest has struggled in that world. And so my oldest has um, not always been able to show an ability to honor God, others, and himself in a dating relationship. And so, and, and that's what, you know, and I don't mind sharing that. Obviously, I wouldn't share details, but that's reality. Kids make choices. So you can do your darndest to raise a good kid and 
at the end of the day, they get to make their own choice on how they want to do things. Mm. And so the oldest has struggled in that area. And my wife and I have been able to learn a lot about unconditional love. <laughs> <laughs> then my 19 and 16 year olds have been unbelievable. And what's funny, my daughter, so I have two boys and a girl and my daughter is right in the middle, Reagan. And she is a spitfire, man. She is like when she was in high school, I never once worried about a boy. Never once. Uh, I worried about, or I didn't worry about her with a boy. I, I worried about the boy with her. And she was like, man, you mess with me and you're going down. Uh, she has always been very mature and has been recently involved in a relationship at Biola University in California. That's where she's in school at. Okay. Uh, and then my youngest, man. So what's funny is both my middle and my youngest haven't had the biggest desire to date. Like it hasn't, they haven't been date crazy, which has been a huge blessing, right? Because my oldest was, and it was like a constant stress and turmoil. But with those two, they kind of just been super chill about it. We, we had a similar experience, our middle one. Well, we have bookend daughters and son in the middle and our bookend daughters sound more like your youngest two. Uh, they didn't date much uh, at all in high school. Our, our oldest started dating a guy her senior year, but um, it wasn't super serious. But yeah, but our son, you know, probably 14 years old, he, he was uh, kind of, I guess what they would say dating, but, you know, he would, uh, we would go and pick up, uh, go with him to his girlfriend's house, pick her up and bring her over here or drop him off at her house and, you know, or at a movie or something. But uh, it's just, you know, we, we realized we, we're not going to be able to keep him away from girls. <laughs> so we're going to structure that as well as we could. But we did have a rule for our kids before you ever go out with somebody, they're going to eat at our table. Mm. And uh, that was a pretty good filter for, <laughs> you know, because there's some people that just didn't want to, you know, want to bring home. So, <laughs> well, that's a way better rule than I had for my daughter. If they wanted to go out with her, they had to cut off one of their hands. <laughs> really negatively impacted her opportunities in high school. <laughs> it felt like it was a good rule. Yeah, that's a pretty good rule. As a marriage and family therapist in private practice, I quickly discovered that, for most situations, therapy wasn't what most of the couples needed as a first step. After some time of researching why this was so, I discovered that many of the top marriage experts, such as Gary Smalley, John Gottman, and Willard Harley, had discovered the same thing. As counselors and therapists themselves, they had learned that for most who seek out marriage counseling, the best first step is often not to start with counseling, although for many it is often the best second or third step. Like me at this point, you may be wondering to yourself why this is so. Isn't that what everybody in our culture tells us to do when we are having marital problems? Go get counseling? There are several factors that contribute to this phenomenon that would take too long to explain in more than just a few minutes, but a study by the Gottman Institute at the University of Washington showed that when couples start with marriage counseling or therapy, within 24 months, only 17% of them will still be married to each other. 
I don't know about you, but I would not elect for any medical treatment that said there's an 83% chance of death. Over the past 12 years, I have conducted over 100 marriage intensive workshops. The reason I started doing them in the first place is because they held a promise of a much higher success rate. In fact, two separate studies have concluded that at least 70% of the couples who have attended these workshops are still married. So you see, the results of starting with counseling versus starting with a reputable intensive are overwhelmingly at polar ends of the success spectrum. I still believe in counseling. At any given time, I am working with numerous couples in a one-on-two counseling type setting. However, these are either premarital couples or couples who have already been through our Love Reboot, a marriage intensive workshop. So, if you have an okay marriage that you would like to be wonderful, if you have a stagnant marriage that seems to be more and more like two people just sharing a roof and bills, if you have recently been separated or considered separation, or either of you have suggested separation, if either one of you has considered or suggested divorce, if there's been a recent affair, or maybe you're just one of the many who has tried all sorts of approaches to growing your marriage, but none of them seem to have a lasting positive effect. If any of these applies, get to the next Love Reboot weekend that you can possibly put on your calendar. I say possibly instead of conveniently because we've seen so many couples who know they need it but can't seem to find a convenient time to make it happen. Suddenly they realize that they've come to a point where it's too late and one or both spouses is no longer willing to try. I don't know about you, but it is never convenient for me to set aside three days for something that doesn't sound like a vacation. If I needed a heart transplant, but waited until it was convenient to have the surgery, well, we all know where that goes. Love Reboot is the relational surgery that you know you can't put off any longer. So, join the hundreds of marriages that were once eroding, failing, or headed for divorce, but are now experiencing a thriving, growing relationship with each other because of the new start that they got from attending a Love Reboot weekend. Find out when the next one is by going to our website, growinglovenetwork.org. Okay, so so, what are some of the, the just the what are some of the common myths that you see that uh, teenagers, or not necessarily teenagers, people just in the dating world, that they uh, that are kind of spread around that mess things up. Man, I'll you know, John, I would say by far for me the biggest well. I like to use catastrophic kind of language, but so I'm trying to check my spirit on, yeah, I mean, I think this is what I would, this is what I truly believe is the biggest, most destructive myth that I encounter with people who are single or dating is this myth that the right, you know, quote unquote, the right person is out there somewhere and dating, I need to find that person, right? I need to find that soulmate. I need right. to that person that I'll be in love with forever. And that is such a terrible myth because here's reality. And, and I'm going to be a real like joy killer here. <laughs> the right person isn't out there. 
They don't exist. And it's because I'm a believer. And so I have a theology of sin. And, and even if you're not a believer, or you have no theology of sin. I think everybody could admit the world is messed up. And because of that, the right person doesn't exist. Right. I mean, I thought I was a pretty good catch when my wife and I got married. And I think she felt like she was a pretty good catch. And yet we still had a lot of difficult times because neither of us are perfect. So yep. there's almost like this expectation that if I can find the right person, then we'll be happy. And that is so dangerous because even if, like my wife and I, we, well, of course, <laughs> our courtship was super quick. And, <laughs> how, how quick was it? Well, okay. I knew her, right? So I had, I had met her briefly, like a handshake when she was trying out for Baylor cheerleader. My freshman year, she was a sophomore. So that was like a brief, hey, I'm Amy. I'm like, hey, I couldn't even talk because I was <laughs> understruck. Like, <laughs> I like saw her. I'm like, holy cow, I got to marry that girl and have babies. And so I was totally intimidated. And that first meeting at the end of my freshman year set me in motion and a chain of events that I'll never be able to undo or forget. But I, uh, after meeting <laughs> her, I was so smitten, I spent a year training and learning how to be a male cheerleader <laughs> so I could. <laughs> <laughs> it's still hard for me to say uh, <laughs> the squad the following year so that's a year later i've only had a handshake with this chick and i've like committed my life much like a stalker i think would commit their life because <laughs> that's just weird um and i was always the football player and won a state championship in high school and would have played in college somewhere small nothing special but had a horrific injury my senior year. And that's how I ended up at Baylor was from a football injury. And yeah, it's hard to picture you. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. It, 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 you, you look more like a football player. Very masculine, John. <laughs> so I was so super you know, thunderstruck by this chick that I literally became a male cheerleader. I mean, in the span of a year and a half, I went from state champion quarterback linebacker to male cheerleader for a girl. And they'll do that to you. Yes, yes, they will. I should have done my homework a little better because yeah. once I got on the squad and we started getting to know each other, I found out she'd been dating a guy for four years. Four. I was like, oh. So you, <laughs> you had even more work cut out for you. I did. But, you know, a year and a half later, maybe two years later, it's, uh, it, it's a miraculous story. We don't have enough time to go into all of it. But let's just say – that I was still madly in love with this girl, Amy, who was madly in love with another guy. They got engaged. I was the first person Amy showed her engagement ring to. Oh, boy. <laughs> that, was a little, that was a kick of the you-know-what. Yeah. So, uh, All that year of hard work down the drain. I mean, yeah. It, what, I think you're going to meet my brother, or you've met him before, or you're about to meet him. And when I was a cheerleader, male cheerleader at Baylor, he was an all-American rugby player at Oklahoma University. So let's just say I got a lot of flack. Uh, <laughs> and, and Greg is older than you? Yeah, five, yeah. Five. Okay. I played rugby. That's, 
That's uh, I got two messed up shoulders from that. Well, I have, yes, so do I. <laughs> so, so, you know, obviously through a chain of miraculous events, Amy ends up calling off her engagement. Uh, I'm there as a really close friend, and I really was. God had, had very specifically forbid me to pursue her, uh, and I wanted to. Man, I wanted to bad. But the Lord was like, dude, you do it, and I'll destroy you and your children's children for 10,000 generations. This kind of sounds like David and Saul. Yeah, it was biblical. You, you were honoring, honoring her engagement? Is- I had to, and I had to honor the yeah. breakup. And I even got her, because nobody knew that I had this secret crush on Amy. Nobody. I didn't tell a soul, because my dad, that was the height of his fame. So there was no way I was telling him. Because he'd blurted on radio or television. I mean, there was a lot of ways he could totally destroy that. So we end up, and so I even set her and the, the fiance up on a private conference call with my father. So his first conversation with his future daughter-in-law was counseling her with another guy. And it huh. was that phone call where Amy really heard that she was never going to be a priority, that money and business would probably always be more important than she was he wasn't a bad guy and that could have very well changed but at that moment that's kind of where he was in his life Mm. so she ends up calling it off eventually which is really a crazy story and we started dating july of 1994 we got engaged september 30th and married december 17th that's pretty quick we got married, John, you're not going to, you're going to lose respect for me. <laughs> we got married. What, what makes you think I had any in the first place? <laughs> I made should have done that. We got married two weeks after she was supposed to marry the other guy. <laughs> it's like, wow. We virtually did nothing right to be successful. Here's what's crazy. It was such a nutty story that from July to December, we had zero conflict. I mean, it was like cloud nine. We're both in heaven. I'm, you know, she's with her knight in shining armor and I'm with my Aphrodite and we could not have been happier. And then 18 hours into our married life, we weren't speaking. <laughs> and our honeymoon was so bad that we left early. Okay. I want to come. Where were you, by the way, on your honeymoon? On a cruise. Okay. I, I want you left. How do you leave a cruise early? <laughs> the long swim (laughs) i I want to come back to that but you so basically you're saying hey um even if you're if you're not a person of faith you gotta you gotta acknowledge that people are more thinking about themselves than other we're just inherently selfish so that right there is is one big piece of a recipe for not good relationship well, I mean, it's really bad if you go in so naive that you guys are never going to have trouble, right? Like, uh, I have found the one. And then quickly you're going to realize, oh, no, they aren't the one because now my feelings are hurt, right? right. The, here's, here's another myth or I, maybe it's just a complaint. I feel like I'm the old man now that gets angry when the kid's ball comes over on my lawn. I'm so <laughs> worked up over this stuff. But it, it, Americans have been sold that 
a healthy marriage or someone you should marry is based off of emotion. Right. And how passionate and how, you know, in love are you? And that is such a bunch of junk. I mean, it is so stupid. All the research from doctors, Howard Markman, Scott Stanley, John Gottman, uh, uh, Maggie Gallagher. I mean, all of them in in marriage and family research. It, It is not romantic love that leads to future longevity and satisfaction. It's right. the exact opposite. It's choice. You can actually, I, I believe, fall in love with pretty much anyone. Yeah. Hey, it, I, Amy and I got to the last, like we were almost hired as the, uh, the matchmakers for that show on television called Love at First Sight. Have you yes. heard of Yes. Yeah, we made it, man, all the way to the end. And uh, who knows what happened, how we didn't. End up. I think they ultimately were paranoid that I had, I've been a pastor. And I think they thought somehow I'd end up super conservative. And <laughs> no matter what I did, it, it didn't matter. So, uh, but the reason I was willing to do that show, and you kind of kidded about it earlier, right? Like, I wish I could arrange my kids' you know, marriage. Right. I totally, totally believe in that. You know, most of the world still kind of does it that way, right? Big swaths of the world's population is still arranging marriages. Uh, And I completely agree with it because what it does is it from the outset, it defines that, listen, this ain't about romance. This is about choices. And so I'm going to choose to love you. And what Scott Stanley talks about in a lot of his research is that actually that choice to love someone the feelings will always follow it. Okay. Now I'm, I'm with you. However, feels like there was a, however coming John. Yes. However, you, you know, okay. So in, in our culture today, we can't, you know, you, you're encouraging dating. Um, you're, you were saying, you know, this, uh, I, I forgot the book, I but kiss dating goodbye. yeah, I kiss getting goodbye. Um, that's not realistic in our culture. And, uh, so arranged marriages aren't realistic. So what do you, uh, I hear what you're saying. It would be really nice if we could pick our children's <laughs> mate. <laughs> Here's an alternative for Americans. Okay. So this is kind of what I'm doing with my kids. Now, of course, my kids, once they leave the home, they're gone, right? Like I, I, I'm no longer their parent, parent, right? I don't get a rule over them or have authority over them. I really get to become their biggest cheerleader, in my opinion, and I want to be their biggest fan and their biggest supporter and encourager. And if they ever ask for my opinion, I would very softly give it to them. But like my daughter, for example, is, I mean, no, obviously we're not doing an arranged marriage situation. However, my, I know that my daughter, whoever she meets and starts dating and eventually might be interested in marrying she wants my sign off. She wants my approval. And I know that she's willing to receive my influence to where if I saw any sort of major real red flags, um, I'm pretty confident that my daughter would take that to heart. And I would have, I was dating a young lady at Baylor before my wife. And I thought very much I was going to marry that young lady until my parents met her. And she was a sweet person. She wasn't a bad person, but Man, my mother, she can sniff them out. I'm telling you. <laughs> easy. But she was like, listen, she's very nice, but I want to warn you, there's stuff going on for her. 
I was like, what? And then of course a bunch of stuff comes out and I find things out and um, you know, it, I end up breaking it off with her because I wanted that support and sign off from my parents. Yeah. My children, at least my middle and my youngest at, at this point, two out of three would really want that. So no, it's not arranged, but I think it's wonderful if you can have a, a good enough relationship with your kids that they're like, Hey, your, your opinion matters to me on who I'm going to marry. Right. And so from the parent's side, the building that relate, that kind of relationship is the key uh, you know, all, all those other, you, you know, you, you want to teach them lessons about uh, what to do and, and how to look for a mate. But uh, the, the biggest piece is, is that they have a relationship with you that they can say, Hey, what do you think about this person? Uh, and, uh, that's a, that's a whole nother podcast there. But, uh, so to the, to the parent whose child just comes up and says, I am madly in love and I'm going to marry this person. You and I know we're when somebody's in that, well, uh, we have it. Have you heard the term limerence? I've heard the term limerence. So when, you know, this thing that our culture calls in love, but uh, when their dopamine, <laughs> their yeah. dopamine levels are real high and their serotonin levels are real low and all that's going on. And they're, they're, they are totally convinced. And I've seen people who, who know about this, that fall into this, you know, especially with somebody that's not their spouse, they, they get in this state and you cannot talk sense to them. Yeah. You know right. what I'm talking You, I mean, they are, they are convinced this is my soulmate, right? Yeah. And, and frankly, the more that you try, the more that you try to convince and, you know, talk some sense into them, the worse it's going to get. Yeah. The more they resist. Yeah. The because more you're going to be ingrained in this decision. Right. You're, you're, <laughs> your 17 year old son or daughter in this position. Uh, if you say, well, sweetheart, you know, I, I, I don't think he's uh, that good for you. And they're going to say, well, you just don't know him. Yeah. Uh, well, I do know that uh, she's been convicted three times of selling <laughs> Well, dad, that's because she's saving money for college, you know, is the kind of <laughs> pushback you're going to get. You know, I, and, and I can speak with, uh, with my oldest who, who, you know, is 21. So he's out of the home living on his own. And I, you know, it's a hard transition to make, especially if you feel like your kid is making poor choices. But I actually just had this conversation with my brother yesterday. And just called him going, I need, I need, a, I, I need ideas because, you know, we can give advice to people all day long, but I think as professionals, it's important to recognize that, hey, I'm too close to this situation to probably come up with some clear thinking. So it's always good to have somebody in your corner that you can call. So I called my brother and he just, it was such a good reminder that even if your kids are making poor decisions, my job is to love him unconditionally. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I don't want to focus on the negative. So I've got to do the work as his father, because obviously I'll always be his father, no matter how old he gets. I got to do the work to highlight and focus in on the things that I can be positive about. Yeah. 
Yeah, this reminds me, my, one of my sisters, uh, her, one of her daughters, who's been married to a great guy now for oh, a decade or so, but she was dating a, a guy in high school that we all just, uh, this guy's not going to be good for you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, her parents try to tell her that in various ways, but the more they try to tell her that, the more she said, you just don't know him. And uh, they realized that wasn't going to work. So then they switched to plan B, which they call, we're going to love the hell out of them. Yeah. And, uh, and so then they started themselves getting in, involved. He was into motocross. So they actually skipped services one Sunday to go watch him do motocross and when they started doing that, then their daughter started, she stopped spending her energy trying to defend him and make excuses for him and, and was able to see him more for who he was. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm telling you, okay, so here's the model, right? Whether you're dating uh, a parent in, in marriage is the model to change others was given by Christ, in my opinion. And that model, quite simply, is self-sacrifice and laying your life down for someone and loving them unconditionally. And that has been one of my biggest themes with couples in the last few years is you desperately want your spouse to change and you keep trying to tell them what they need to change. And how does that go? Right. It's, it's almost like a Dr. Phil moment. You know, how's that working for you? Right. It doesn't work. People, no especially our spouse and our children, they don't want to hear that from me because frankly, they're aware of my junk. So like, who am I right to speak into their lives? Right. And really the secret to changing others is, is unconditional love and sacrifice. So continually laying down your life, turning the other cheek, walking the extra mile, doing for them what you wish they were doing for you. That's what gets people to change. Right. Okay, let's let's talk about. Uh, and we got any single people that might be listening to this? What what do they need to know about dating? Well, if you dating where where I get again, I feel like I'm I have angst in my life or something that I'm taking out on your show today. <laughs> where I get frustrated is that. If you want to, let's go positive. If you want to be successful, then take it seriously. And for me, that first step in taking dating seriously is don't ever date someone you wouldn't want to marry. And Bingo. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 12. If you're going out with someone, it better be someone that you could at least see yourself one day being married to. And, and where I would encourage people is the moment that changes, the moment that you're like, ooh, yeah, now I don't think I'd want to be married to this person for whatever reason. doesn't even have to be a mean reason. It might be maybe you're in college and you're on your sixth or seventh date and you're starting to talk about what you want to do for a, a living and, and you're passionate about foreign missions and they're passionate about stock market and they're like, ooh, I would never go on the mission field. That could be the moment where you're like, ooh. Uh, I don't think we'd do good marrying because that's kind of my life goal. And, and and so don't date someone you don't want to marry would be first. Yeah. I, uh, I do a lot of, I'm sure you, you probably do uh, also a lot of pre premarital counseling and I always have a session with where I see them individually and I ask them, is there anything that uh, about this person that if they did this for the rest of their life, 
you wouldn't be able to live with. And if there, if there is, then I say you need to get out because likely you're not going to fix that. Oh, I, man, that would be the next thing is what is your list? Not only what is your like list of qualities, right? I, I might call it a top 10 list. This is kind of who I'm looking for. Hmm. Personality traits, character, uh, religious stance, you know, whatever. But there needs to be some non-negotiables. There really does. Because you cannot marry someone thinking, oh, they'll change. Right. right. You know, and, and, you know, to get kind of serious, if, if you are dating, like, especially for ladies need to hear this. If you're dating a man who is, you know, kind of hyper controlling and it makes you feel uncomfortable, maybe it's not horrific, but you're like, it's kind of an issue. You got to understand uh, uh, some of the lies that they might tell themselves at times is, well, once we get married, he'll feel more secure in our relationship. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that ain't, it's going to go the opposite way. Yeah. Controlling behavior more than likely becomes abusive. Oh yeah. Some form or fashion. Yeah. If he's grabbing your wrists now, yeah, that's going to be punching you later. Yeah. And right. I think John, what we're talking about is being intentional. So if you want to be mm-hmm. successful in your dating life, be intentional, be thoughtful, go into dating with eyes wide open, right? I'm looking for someone that I want to spend the rest of my life with. Here are the qualities I'm looking for. Here are the things that I'm picking up on. Like how does he treat his mother? What kind of relationship does she have with her father? Uh, what kind of family is she coming from? What are, what's the legacy? You know, all these things matter. And it feels like today millennials are so terrified of being judgmental. That's not being judgmental. It's being conscious. Wise, yes. <laughs> I'm just thinking and I'm observing and I got to make decisions based off of the input I receive. Right. Which is not to say that there's some people who, you know, uh, my youngest daughter is dating a guy that we, we think she's a junior in college. We think he's a great guy, but his, his, his uh, family legacy is not what we'd hope for, but he is very intentional about wanting to break that chain. He recognizes um, the dysfunction and wants it to be different. So, you know, that's a, that's a big key indicator. Somebody, yeah, that's, and, and so being non-judgmental uh, is not saying, hey, um, everybody deserves a chance because everybody does, but are they, are they wanting to take that chance? Are they wanting to, are they, are they planning on doing something different than their uh, negative legacy has shown them? Since it's launched less than two years ago, Relationship Rewire is now averaging more than 35,000 downloads per month. We are rapidly realizing that this effective tool is helping more and more marriages than we could imagine. But Relationship Rewire is not all we do. In fact, most of the time and energy is spent directly with couples and spouses. About once a month, we conduct a three-day intensive workshop for marriages called Love Reboot. Earlier this year, I completed my 100th marriage intensive. Thousands of marriages have been saved and numerous families are still intact and now thriving as a result. We've also developed a marriage course that is taken by thousands of couples, individuals, 
and engaged couples called Growing Love. Growing Love is so effective that the state of Texas has designated it as a Together in Texas course. Engaged couples who complete the course don't have to pay the state marriage license fee. We've also trained more than 100 couples to facilitate and lead effective marriage courses. We began Growing Love Network because we saw two big things that were lacking in the marriage help world. First of all, most approaches to marriage help are not effective. Even though they may be interesting and provide good information, they often leave people with little more than a few ideas and tools which they now expect the other spouse to be better at practicing. This new raised bar of expectations now only leads to further frustration and resentment. Growing Love Network is revolutionizing the way marriage help is done by working on the hearts and minds of the individual spouse, helping each spouse to focus on what they themselves can do rather than trying to change each other. This is one reason why our success rates are so much higher than other traditional approaches. Also, we began Growing Love Network on a model that makes it available to anyone, regardless of ability to pay. For example, other effective marriage intensives start out at over $2,000, and most are $3,500 and above, with no scholarship assistance available for those who cannot afford it. Love Reboot is less than half their price, and about half of the couples who attend receive scholarship assistance, thanks to our donors. Simply put, without donors, we cannot do what we do. I want you to consider one more thing. Most or all of the organizations and causes you might give to are what philanthropy experts would refer to as downstream philanthropy. Imagine you and several friends are standing on the banks of a river as you begin to notice several people floating by as they struggle to keep from drowning. Your natural instinct, and rightly so, would be to jump in and start rescuing them. But if more and more people kept floating by, struggling for their lives, eventually somebody is going to consider going upstream and attempt to prevent what is causing all these people from falling in the river in the first place. Downstream philanthropy is staying downstream, focusing on the symptoms instead of the cause. Upstream philanthropy saves time, energy, and resources by tackling the problems at their source. A recent study showed that a conservative estimate is that a single divorce costs us taxpayers an average of $30,000. This is largely due to the fact that children of divorce are much more likely to be involved in many of the things we donate to preventing or subduing, such as teenage pregnancy, poverty, hunger, substance abuse, crime, emotional and psychological disorders, incarceration, and subsequent divorce further perpetuating the cycle. So you see, it would be difficult to find a better bang for your donation buck than contributing to Growing Love Network and supporting this podcast as well as the many other ways we are turning this tide. Take a moment and ask God if this is what you should do right now. If the answer is yes, hit pause and go to growinglovenetwork.org and click on the donate button. As a way of showing our appreciation, We won't continue until you hit the play button. But it sounds like what your daughter has done, though, you do have to ask the questions in your head, right? You have to go, hey, all right, he has a rough family history. Where is he today? Is is this a thing that he's aware of? 
right? Right. Something that he's dealt with because realistically, he's probably shared some things with her on things he's done and things like, because, you know, you said he wants to break that legacy. So clearly he's put some energy into overcoming. So has someone overcome or mm -hmm. are they still stuck? And right. Still stuck. Wait, they're not ready to get married. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can't, but you, you, you want to marry the healthiest versions of yourselves possible. Right. Not that we won't keep growing, but I mean, boy, you don't want to marry dysfunction, like blatant dysfunction. Right. So would you be okay then with the, if your son was dating a girl whose uh, mother left her dad, uh, would you think it's wise for uh, him to say, Hey, look, what do you think about that? That your, that your mom left your dad. Yeah. I mean, what, what I do with almost anything is I, I tend to not draw hard lines in the sand because they don't make sense to me. Right. So I don't, I do not propose that people go, okay, if this person's parents have been divorced, that's a non-negotiable. That would be insane. That would eliminate close to 50% of right. the potential dating market. So hard lines don't make any sense to me. For me, I would ask my son or daughter the questions of, wow, that's a rough, that's a rough family background. What, what kind of things have you seen in their life that they've done to sort of break free from that or to grow from it? And I'll tell you this, and I really mean it, the best people in life are the ones that have been through it. Mm. So I, don't, I would never hold trauma or tragedy or dysfunction uh, against someone, especially if they've overcome those things, because when you overcome those painful things in your past, you are significantly more sensitive, more loving, more gracious, more kind. I mean, all the really good stuff you want in a person comes through trial. Yeah. And, and the question is like, okay, let's talk about pornography for a second. Okay. Right. Uh, I, I, you know, my daughter did not date at all, actually, in high school, which I was thrilled for because uh, virtually every high school boy is semi-addicted or really, really addicted to pornography. Hmm. There, there, ain't, there ain't a lot of boys out there that don't struggle with pornography. Right. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's so ubiquitous. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think my daughter should have a, a uh, you know, a, a deal breaker over pornography. That'd be insane. She, that would probably eliminate 99% of the possible boys. But around what I've at least experienced is around 21, 22, 23-ish, the good guys that have struggled with pornography start to crawl out of that pit and they start getting help and they get into counseling and they find mentors and they start getting discipled and, and they're engaged in healing from that addiction. That's a great guy. I wouldn't hold that over that guy, but you might need time though. Sure. So it's not that they have a past. It's what have they done with it? How have they moved forward? Well, Michael, I've, I've already kept you longer than I said I would, but I feel like we've just opened up a, 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 a Pandora's box of questions, <laughs> more and more questions. I would really like to get you on for a part two of this sometime soon. Yeah. No, I'd be thrilled, John. I've been I, I have too. And I think there's just uh, this discussion is just, oh, like I said, I think we just started scratching the surface and people are going to be going, Whoa, I need more. 
because yeah. I, uh, I need some more help here because I, I guarantee you there's a lot of people listening to this that uh, are in the state of where we are right now as parents or uh, in that dating world. So, yeah. um, man, it's been great having you on. You're, you're, you're fun. Anybody ever told you you're fun? <laughs> no, that's about all I ever get. <laughs> You're fun and humorous, and then anything beyond that. So, no, I mean, it's funny because that, yeah, I mean, that, that I have learned to be me. And unfortunately, me is not always appropriate, and he likes to be weird and goofy. And uh, so that's what you get. <laughs> Good. Yes. I, I am very often told I'm not appropriate myself. I had, I, I used to do a thing at, 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 we were at a church in Colorado Springs for seven years. And I, I did this thing that I led the, it was called kids for Christ. It was basically a way to get all the little, the three to six year olds out of the auditorium during the sermon. So they wouldn't disrupt. And so I, I t- did that with them. And, and one of the, the little boys in there at six years old, uh, he told me one day, you joke too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's bad when a <laughs> yes. like, hey, you're goofing around too much, sir. Calm yeah. Down. And my family has not let me forget that. Well, I was, I could pick up on that just from the introduction. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure, Michael. I, I am going to try to get you back on here real soon and, and let's do a, a part two of this. Cause there's uh, I, I would, I didn't jump into nearly what I wanted to with you. Ah, uh, you bet, man. But uh, where can people uh, find uh, what you do? Yeah, they just need to go to smalleyinstitute.com. Okay. So you can even just Google Smalley and, and the website will come up there pretty high. Uh, so smalleyinstitute.com, you can find my live event schedule. I do comedy, so I do a lot of fun date nights around the country and um, find out more information on intensives. And then we've got a lot of really cool online courses. So those are um, really in-depth and helpful stuff for couples and that's all on your website and your podcast is called smally marriage radio smally marriage radio so you check that out as well well it's been a pleasure michael thanks a whole lot you bet john thank you relationship rewire is produced by growing love network growing love network exists to revolutionize relationships for lifelong love. You can find us on the web at growinglovenetwork.org. We welcome your feedback on this or any of our episodes. Send us an email to relationshiprewire at gmail.com. And I'm like, hey, it is John. <laughs> yes, it is John. <laughs> I would have, if you'd have called me Bob, I would have just uh, edited that out. And <laughs> my ego won't let that happen. Yeah, we do about 25,000 a month listens or downloads. You read all these kids on YouTube and you're like, how? <laughs> million views on this rubble. Yeah. <laughs>